third episode of Grow Microbiology, a podcast dedicated to the sharing of ideas, best practices, teaching tips, educational solutions, and other exciting topics in microbiology. My name is Valerie Kramer, and I'm a member of the McGraw-Hill product team. And today I'd like to introduce one of our fantastic authors, Denise Anderson, who has taught microbiology in the state of Washington for more than 30 years. So she's quite the expert. She is also the author of Nestor's Microbiology, A Human Perspective, which just came out in the ninth edition this year. So exciting to have you with us, Denise. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's, it's fun to chat with you, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing my very first ever podcast. <laughs> oh, you're going to be great. So one thing I just love about you, Denise, and I saw this in your eyes the first time I met you, is this incredible heartfelt passion that you have for teaching. Uh, before I go into even more about that teaching philosophy, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to love microbiology and, and what really made you want to become an instructor? Well, basically, I, I bumbled my way into it, to be very honest. My original career choice was fashion merchandising, a bit different from where I am today, I must say. Um, but So I took classes at a local community college, but only because my family expected me to. I was totally unmotivated, uh, so I ended up dropping out after a few quarters. And I realized that quitting might seem a bad choice, but I'm actually really glad I did it because at that point in my life, I was basically an insecure, immature twit. <laughs> and I needed, I, it's true, I needed to really grow up and get my act together. And fortunately, I finally did, um, although it did take a few years. Um, but I went back to school, but this time I wanted to absorb absolutely everything. I was probably an instructor's dream student. Um, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do in the long term, so I essentially tried on a bunch of different options. Initially, I wanted to join the Peace Corps, and then I decided to become a physician, and then a food scientist, and so on. But finally, though, I found microbiology, and then I went to graduate school in biology, and I fell in love with teaching. And so here I am. Oh, and we're so lucky. So how did that unconventional route influence your own teaching? Probably a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, so for one thing, I, I can relate to unmotivated students as well as the motivated ones. Um, but, but seriously, it made me really passionate about maintaining high expectations for students. So I distinctly remember that even during my flakiest years, I always tried to reach the bar that was set for me. So if an instructor set a high bar, I learned more. It was as simple as that. If the bar was low, well, that's as high as I reached because I never tried to get much beyond that bar. So. I guess my unconventional route was really helpful because it turned me into an instructor who has very high expectations, which I think is a good thing. But I should mention that I do get pushback from some students as far as my expectations. I remember one in particular before the first exam, she told me in absolutely no uncertain terms that my class was way too difficult. She assumed she was going to fail, and so she was really, really angry with me. And she said that no other teacher had expected so much, and I was being unreasonable, and on and on. But what was great, and the reason I remember her so well, and the reason I'm telling you that story, is that by the end of the quarter, she'd essentially did a, an about-face. She'd done quite well in the class, and she ended up being really annoyed at her previous teachers for having taught her so little, um, because she realized that she's really quite capable, and she didn't know that before. <laughs> so really what I found is that students can handle far, far more than they usually realize. They just sometimes need to, to change their mindset, and so that's what I try to do. Um, I guess that's why I end up being a bit of a coach. 
I push them to reach their potential. I use encouragement, enthusiasm, honest advice, basically what it takes. So, yeah. That's great. I love the student feedback. I think um, that's such a nice reassurance of what we do every day and what we're all striving for in higher education. Um, do you have any other meaningful, I love that, do you have any uh, memorable or meaningful testimonial that you would want to share? Oh, too many, really too many. <laughs> too many. But, but, okay, so one of my favorites was from a previous student who showed up in my office on the first day of the quarter. But actually, before I share that one, um, I should say that feedback from students like this who contact me well after they've taken the course, that's probably the most valuable feedback. Um, and that's simply because they're the ones who had time to reflect on what they've learned. And so it means really a lot. But at any rate, this particular student, I'm going to take you what went through um, my head as she was talking because that's one reason it's in my memory. I mean, it's just, it's seared in my brain. Um, so you have to know what I was sort of thinking. So she started with, I took your course a year ago, and I remember you saying on the first day that you weren't interested in having us just memorize things for the exam, that you wanted us to master the information so that we not only did well on the exam, but also remembered the information a year from now. Okay, so I need to stop here and tell you that this is indeed what I tell my students on the first day, and that's what I just told the newest group of students hours earlier. So, so far, so good. But then she said, I thought that was a really dumb, dumb excuse me, I thought that was a really dumb thing to say. I, mean, I, just, I just, I panicked. I mean, my heart absolutely sunk. Every bit of self-doubt and insecurity hit me smack down in the face. But then she continued. She said, I thought it was dumb because as an eager first quarter UW student, I assumed that I'd remember everything from all my classes. But you know what? Here it is a year later, and yours is the only one where I remember all the information. I thought about that today, and I want to let you know. So... In a matter of seconds, I went from being one very bummed instructor to wanting to jump up and hug her. <laughs> that's my memorable story. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yes. Wow. That's what being a teacher is all about, right? Can you talk more about your philosophy? You've shared it with me um, a time before about your teaching philosophy that you've written out. And I think it's just really inspiring, inspiring for even for teachers and students alike. It's kind of what it's all about. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. Well, so, so to me, education is about laying a foundation for lifelong earning, learning and application. And that sounds really simple, but it isn't. I spend a tremendous amount of time deciding what students should come away with. In general, I follow concepts rather than details but it's really not an either-or situation. I find that a certain amount of detail is necessary for understanding a concept, but too much is overwhelming. The trick is to find the right balance. And probably the best example of the need for finding a balance, is, for me at least, is the topic of antimicrobial drugs. There are so many different drugs. So when I teach the topic, I go into the nitty-gritty about one class of drugs, but only one. And what I'm actually doing is using that detail to reinforce the big picture concepts like spectrum of activity and target and resistance and so on. And so once students have that foundation, they have something to build on later on in life. So I don't need to cover every detail. I just simply give them the foundation. And 
actually, my, when I think about it, my emphasis on concepts is probably one reason why some students find my course so difficult. They're used to memorizing things, and they're often really, really good at it. So they, they look for details to memorize, but that's not what I want. And unfortunately, as they look for things to memorize, they miss the big picture. And as I tell them, to me, it's like going to a movie and trying to memorize every scene rather than focusing on the story itself. They need to sit back and just sort of absorb the whole story. Um, and so, so one thing that's important to me for helping students become lifelong learners is to get them to look beyond the here and now. Too many of them think only about getting a good grade, so they go from exam to exam, cramming for each one, putting the information to short-term memory, but that's cleared out as they cram for the next one. And so it's, it's just binge and purge learning, and it's, it's such a waste. So what I try to do is get students to view their education as a path towards becoming some, someone they'd want to be as you know, their own nurse or their own doctor or their own dentist or whatever, whatever profession they're aiming for. I want them to focus on that future, striving to be the best they can be. I mean, I tell them to become the person they hire. And oh, I, I should also mention that although most of my students plan to enter a healthcare-related uh, profession, they're also voters and taxpayers. So I focus on more than just medical uh, microbiology. When I say lifelong learning and application, I want that to reach all parts of a person's life, not just their career. Oh, that's fantastic, because we're always talking about relevancy and how we can apply it um, in our lives and as students. And how do you focus on sharing that relevancy and what they're learning and making learning that is relevant in real life? How do you bring that into so the classroom? What I do yeah, it's actually really fun. It's what makes teaching so fun. Um, I, I routinely show news articles about the topics we're covering. I find that once someone sees that relevance, they're more likely to retain the information. So to me, relevance is huge. Uh, the beauty of teaching microbiology is that microbes rule the world. I don't know if you know that yet or not, but they do. <laughs> um, so so <laughs> I'm not biased. I'm not. Um, but so news articles about microbes are all around, and I I don't necessarily use the most current articles when I'm showing students articles. I do if I can, but I've collected some really good ones over the years, and I use them again and again. So I use whatever is best for the situation. I also create opportunities for students to apply their newfound knowledge. Um, and again, I use news articles, but this time I try to highlight examples that have flaws. And so what I'm really trying to do is instill what I call positive skepticism. And what I mean by that is I want students to avoid jumping to conclusions, but without becoming too cynical. So I want them to pause and look at information from different angles. And that requires a base of knowledge. So what I'm really showing them is why education is so incredibly important. And I remind them of that all the time, actually. Um, but I'm also showing them that critical thinking relies on information already in the brain. One of the problems nowadays, students, they have information galore at their fingertips. So they sometimes are under the false impression that they don't have to remember anything beyond the exam. By showing them the relevance, they, they realize they have to retain it. Yes, absolutely. And at the University of Washington, uh, you have a wide variety of students in your intro micro course, from freshman pre-nursing to senior biochemistry majors. I mean, wow, that's quite a spectrum. So how has your teaching style evolved over the years, to be sure? I know you said the motivated and unmotivated ones, but just the bandwidth <laughs> of relevancy for these students, and how, how do you reach all of them? 
It's really hard, um, but I have to say I think it's also forced me to become a better teacher. So for one thing, I'm now even more careful to focus on the big picture before dwelling, delving into the nitty-gritty. So I've always presented the big picture for the benefit of the newbie students, but I sort of assumed I'd be boring the upper-level students, um, but it turns out that's not the case. It turns out that many of those upper-level students, they come into my class not understanding the big picture. They simply memorize the details of their previous classes. And one comment I get from them is that they wish they'd taken my course earlier because it puts things into context, because I do focus on the big picture. I've also found through trial and error that there's no one-size-fits-all method of teaching, so I incorporate all sorts of different things in a way to reach all the different types of students. And so I experimented with flipping the classroom, but found that for me at least, a hybrid approach works best, what I call a mini flip. So, you know, it's different strokes for different folks, but for me, this works really well. And what I did was I moved the simplest information out of the lecture and assigned this independent study to be done in advance of lecture. And then what that does is it frees up class time for sharing news stories and other real life examples and for using poll everywhere questions. And that helps keep students thinking. I still do have a um, substantial form of lecture component. Oh, good. So uh, utilizing the technology in the classroom, including the poll everywhere, how has digital technology helped in your course? I know sometimes it's, it can be daunting knowing all these things are out there, but how has it helped you? So it, it's helped a great deal once I learned to be flexible in my requirements. So what I found is that some of my students absolutely love Learn Smart, but others not so much. So what I do is I require students to try the digital tools, but then I look and choose which ones to go back to. So they can use the ones that they feel are the most helpful for them. In general, students like the Connect questions best because those are similar to my exam questions. So what I do for my Connect assignments is I have about 10 questions per lecture, and I've generally chosen the ones that require understanding rather than memorization. Um, meanwhile, for the in-class pull-everywhere questions, I try to ask at least some that take advantage of students' misconceptions or tendency to rush to judgment. And that's because I found that when students get something wrong, they tend to listen more carefully. And yes, that's sneaky on my part, perhaps, but it's very <laughs> effective. So I mean, because it was, it was great. I remember I was sitting in the back of a classroom once watching another instructor use one of my pull-everywhere questions. And a whole bunch of students chose the wrong answer, and I knew they would. But watching the body language of the class was absolutely amazing because pretty much every student leaned forward to intently listen to the explanation. They were absolutely engaged, and it was because right. they'd missed it. They'd missed the question, so they wanted to figure out what was going on. And so that was really great to see. And I mean, actually, it was really funny because the other day I was reading a, a bird identification book, and the mm -hmm. author described what I think happens. What, what this author said is, only when you are put on the spot do you realize how little information you have really absorbed. This realization compels you to look more critically at every detail. And I think it's really true. So I guess what's true for learning microbiology is also true for becoming a better bird watcher. <laughs> Another example of relevancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so really, I just want to switch gears just slightly, and I know in your book, Nestor's Microbiology, you focus heavily on immuno immunology, and um, including in the recent edition, we have a whole chapter, of course, dedicated to it. 
Can you tell us more? I know this is one of your favorite things to teach. Can you tell us why you like teaching it and why it's really an important topic for microbiology? So, so really, whatever I'm teaching ends up being my favorite thing to teach, just so you know. <laughs> but I do love teaching immunology because it is just so challenging. Um, so the immune system is incredibly complicated. There are lots of moving parts, and so students usually find it one of the most difficult topics. And the thing is, when somebody finally does get it, and you know when they've gotten it, you can tell that they've gotten it, but they're amazed and appreciative, and that's really, really gratifying. So, I mean, it was really fun because once I asked my students at the end of the quarter which subject was the most difficult to grasp, and they immediately said immunology. Then I asked them which was the most interesting, and they immediately said immunology. And so to me, having the most difficult subject also be the most interesting is a sign of success. And also, understanding how the immune system works is important for understanding health and disease because the reason that only a limited number of microbial species are able to cause disease is, is because of our immune system. And if that breaks down or if a person encounters a microbe that has a mechanism to overcome our immune system, we get sick. So yes, it's an important topic and once you understand it, lots of other things fall into place. Very interesting. Great. So, um, so to keep things fun, I'm adding a little segment to our podcast, and you're the first one uh, for us to ask this question. What is your favorite microbe and why? And we all love those plushy microbes that are out there because they're just so much fun. So, Denise, tell us, what is your favorite microbe and why? So that is really, really easy. My favorite micro microbe is Thiomargarita nimbiensis. And I actually, I give a lecture on diversity and I subtitle it, these are a few of my favorite bugs. And one that I cover, I cover probably about 10, one that I cover is Thiomargarita. Um, actually, just for fun, I should also mention that my other subtitle for that same lecture is My Apology to the Microbial World for Soon Focusing on the Relatively Few That Cause Disease. I have fun with that lecture. At any rate, um, I'm impressed with Thiomargarita, not because it's huge, but it is huge, um, but because of the reason for that size. And that reason is that what it eats isn't in the same location, is it what it breathes. So to it has both of those at all times, it carries a three-month supply of each. So essentially, it's a microbial cell that carries a huge scuba tank as well as an enormous lunchbox. And I think that's pretty cool. Yes, that's so, yeah, very I like cool. It. I thought maybe it was because you liked margaritas, but uh, that, no. that's definitely I do. reason to like it. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much for being here with us, Denise. Your students are sure lucky to have you, and so are we. So, you know, if there's one final thing you'd like to leave us with for inspiration, just as we kick off um, the fall term as it really starts to get going here, what would that be? Wow. Um, in a nutshell, teaching teaching is about caring. It's about caring about students, caring about colleagues, and probably most importantly, caring about excellence. Great thing to leave us with. Yes, <laughs> great inspiration. So best wishes to all the instructors and students out there and getting geared up and back to school. And thank you for listening to Grow Microbiology. If you like this episode, like us or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for more microbiology tips and inspiration.